the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Let no one say Pastor when he is tempted, Crosby, not tempted by God. Hillside Church. God does not tempt anyone, nor he can he himself be tempted by evil. But each person is, is enticed and carried away by his own lust. And when lust gives birth to sin, when lust conceives, it brings forth sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Take your thoughts captive. You have about six seconds to shift gears when a wrong thought when a vanilla, common gar- garden variety, everyday wrong thought enters your mind, take your thoughts captive. I can see the promised land, though there's pain within the plan. There is victory in the end. Your love is my battle cry. The answer for all. Dragon will fall, the mountains will move, every chain of the past you've broken into, all the fear of the lies, we're singing the truth, that nothing is impossible with you. Hello and welcome to today's Grace to Live radio broadcast with Pastor Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program, and we're so glad to have you back. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles or on your devices if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we're continuing with Pastor Keith's series, 10 Rules for Life. An Antidote to Chaos from the Old Testament book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own household. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. In other words, everybody's going to see what you did in private. It's going to be done to you. Life is going to get very bad. You have sown the seeds of destruction in your own household. You know, the court knows what David has done. His courtiers, his servants, they know what he's done. The people who may serve as nannies to his children in the future, we don't know what those kids were going to hear. We don't know how all this is going to play out. God gives us an outline of what's going to happen here. And what is David's response? Don't you know who I am? I'm the king. That's not his response. I want you to watch the uncommon response of an uncommon man raised up to lead a nation by an uncommon God. And I want you also to look at the uncommon grace of a merciful and loving God who only wants what's best for his children. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. David remembered what happened to Saul. Saul turned his back on God and God took his life and the life of his children, right? 
So David says, you know, I've sinned and I'm going to die, you know. What that is, is David is verbally expressing inward repentance. He's repenting. He is having a change of mind that brings about a change of heart and a change in direction. David is repenting. Now, how does David demonstrate and prove his repentance? He doesn't. He doesn't. He just basically says, I'm terribly, terribly sorry. But something has already happened. Before he can verbalize this, you know, you can only verbalize what's inside of you. are like tubes of toothpaste, right? When you put a little squeeze on us, what's inside of us comes out of us. Or like bags of tea, you put us in hot water, and what's inside of us comes out. The hot water doesn't make the tea. It just releases the tea. And when he hears what he has done, when he sees the ugliness of his sin, he is engaging in what Paul will later describe in uh, First and Second Corinthians as godly sorrow. And what does God say? Prove it. Demonstrate your repentance. Act out your repentance. Show me. Change here and here and here. Does it say that anywhere? No, because that's really not the way it works. It can work that way sometimes if you give people time to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. But what goes on here is this. Nathan said to David, the Lord has, and in the Hebrew it comes out this way, the Lord has already put away your sin. Because the Lord saw his heart at that moment. And before he could verbalize it, he was forgiven. The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Confession of sin, forgiveness. However, we live in a consequence-free world. Or people would like to think they live free of consequences. But what you have here is this. He is forgiven. There are no eternal consequences for sin. He's saved. And once you're saved, you're always saved. You can't lose your salvation. It wasn't yours to give. It's not yours to forfeit. But there are consequences to our sin. And in verse 14, we see this. Nevertheless, you're forgiven, but nevertheless, because of this deed, by this deed, you have utterly, totally scorned the Lord. The child who was born to you shall die. The wages of sin is death. Death of relationships, death of reputations, and sometimes the death of people. And sometimes that death is eternal as they are separated from God's grace throughout all eternity. And at verse 15, it says, then Nathan, Nathan, returns to his house. He's delivered the message. He's the messenger of God, and he delivers the message, and he leaves. And the child dies, and everything begins to play out, and we come to uh, Second Samuel 12, 24, and 25. Then we see the mercies and blessings of God. We see the grace of God toward a repentant sinner. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went in and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. And it's talking about Solomon. And sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name. This is God's nickname for Solomon. Jedidiah. Because of the Lord. Jedidiah uh, is Hebrew for a beloved of God. What do we see here? We see a man commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. We see the anatomy of an affair. It starts up here and it goes out if we don't check it. We see what happens when we fail to embrace God's way. We see what happens when we live a life absent of God. When we do not inoculate ourselves with these 10 antidotes for chaos, trouble always ensues. And we see what happens when we allow wrong attitudes to devolve, not evolve, to devolve into wrong thinking, wrong actions, words, and deeds. And we see what happens when we don't respect our marriage, when we don't respect our spouse. So what I want to do today as we begin to kind of get our arms around this a little more completely is consider four results of adultery so that you can flee from its presence, flee from its temptation. Four consequences of not respecting your spouse. Four consequences of not respecting marriage. And the first one is this, broken commitments. 
A king is to be committed to his country and his people. David remained at home while his troops went to war. He broke his commitment as a leader. He broke his commitments as a monarch. He broke his commitments as a spiritual prophet king. We see that in verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. He sends them out to do what he should be doing. Now you're saying, wait a minute, he hasn't committed adultery yet. That That isn't the cause of adultery. Things were already going wrong spiritually here. Adultery isn't like a cold you catch. It's not like a disease you contract. It is born of wrong thinking. And David's mind somehow, we don't know what led up to this, what precipitated this, was already on to other things besides the glory of God, the good of others, and his own growth. As a Jewish man and a God follower, David violated his commitment to his country and to his king. In Romans 7.1, it says this, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. You know what? When you're alive, you're subject to the law of God. Not one jot or tittle, not one iota or stroke will fall from the law until all is accomplished. And as a Jewish man, as a Jewish king, his commitment was to the Lord. And when he began to break these commitments mentally, first, we commit adultery in our hearts before we commit it with our bodies. We, and, and adultery is both spiritual and physical. There's an adultery when we abandon God and there's adultery when we abandon our spouse. David broke his commitments. In Genesis 2.23, you see Adam rejoicing over the wife that God has given him. This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She's a part of me. We are together forever or until somebody new comes along. It's a broken commitment. David is violating everything he knows about marriage, everything he knows about promises and commitments. Nothing occurs in a vacuum. Sin is like a grenade. It is not a victimless crime. And your lack of respect for your spouse is going to contaminate your kids And their kids, and if you watch the progeny of David and Solomon, you see all this play out all the way down to Rehoboam when the civil war takes place and Israel is torn asunder. Consequence number two, broken relationships. You know what? I mean, he broke his relationship with God. He broke his relationship with his servants. And I'll look at Joab here. Their relationship would never recover. If you follow through uh, 1 Kings, their relationship, it deteriorates. Joab respects him less and less. He obeys him less and less. David, you know, David is morally crippled in Joab's sight. You know, when David is whining like a, like a baby about the death of Absalom and not worried about his troops, Joab rebukes him. Joab kills people that he tells him not to kill. And before David is dead, he tells his son to make sure he kills Joab in 1 Kings 2, 5 through 7. Broken relationships. And there's broken relationships really even before Uriah was dead between him and his wife. In the law, in the Torah, in the, in the, in the book of beginnings in Genesis 2, 24 and 25, it says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, not lightly, fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Most of the time we don't read verse 24 and 25. But what it tells you here is this. There's a transparency in the relationship. And once you begin to deceive the one that you say you love, and once you're uncovered, that transparency, that trust, that exposure, that nakedness before one another is forever compromised. God can restore the relationship, but things are never quite the same. And if you follow David's life after this, his morality is never quite the same. From numbering his troops to doing all kinds of stupid stuff, 
he never fully morally recovers. Bathsheba broke her commitment, her relationship with her husband. There's irreparable damage. Consequence number three. So we've talked about broken, uh, broken commitments, broken relationships. Consequence number three, when you don't respect your spouse, when you don't respect marriage, there are broken lives. When this grenade finally goes off, when that click happens before that, and then the IED detonates, the wages of sin is death. Second Samuel eleven twenty six is sort of the picture of that here. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. I doubt Bathsheba knew that David had had him killed. I don't know what her initial response or fears were. What would she tell her baby that was going to be born? It's not his. Can you imagine what's going through her head? What, her life is over. And she doesn't know David's going to bring her in and marry her and make her a queen. At this point, the man that she loved and was unfaithful to is dead. She's carrying somebody else's baby. Her life is over in Jewish culture. It's over in ancient Near Eastern culture. It's over in Palestinian culture. It's over. And then David's brush with adultery leads to ongoing chaos and death in his own life and his own family. 2 Samuel 12, 10 through 12. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me in taking the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up against you out of your own house evil, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall... Trouble is never going to stop. There's going to be death. Even Absalom kills one of his own brothers, right? There's just mayhem and murder in the house of David. He set a snowball downhill that's just going to get bigger and bigger. It's it's the consequences of sin. We can be forgiven, but sometimes stuff happens, you know. There are consequences. His own son would do to him what he did to Uriah the Hittite. His own son would try to take his life the way he took the life of Uriah the Hittite. The nation would watch and know and murmur against both of them. And Absalom would die and David would wish he was dead at some point. Because what God has joined together, let no one, not even a king, separate. And that's what David has done here. And then it brings us to the fourth consequence and that is broken witness. Broken witness. So we have broken commitments, broken relationships, broken lives, and broken witness. We begin to see this begin to play out in 2 Samuel 11.1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab, that's his general, and his servants with him, and all of Israel. You can imagine what they thought? In that culture, even pagan kings went out with their troops. And they're like, what's going on here? Is this the giant killer? Why is he staying home in the air conditioning and cable television and whatever? No, no. I mean, you know, what's he doing? Who, you know, this isn't the way that Yahweh, this isn't the way that Moses, this isn't the way that Joshua, even Saul went out to battle and died in battle. What's going on here? David's credibility could not have been undamaged here. There's something amiss, something awry. David's absence sent a message, and it sent the wrong message. And then David's action caused those closest to him to stumble, to compromise their integrity, and to wonder what in the world is going on with him. How do we know that? Verses 2 through 5. It happened late afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. He saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said... In other words, maybe all the servants said, yeah, this is her name, this is her address, this is her phone number, this is her email address. I don't know what they said. But one said, 
is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, one of your bodyguards, one of your mighty men, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of your most trusted captains? Can you imagine what they thought? What kind of witness? A man after God's own heart? The anointed, God's anointed? Is this the way believers behave? That's the way the world looks at us today when we act like hypocrites. They're like, so you're a Christian? Well, if you're a Christian, I don't want to be that. And, it's, you know, and he's unmoved. He's not thinking, right? So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. And then she sent the message back to him, I'm pregnant. There was no secure phone line like we have today. There was no encryption so that nobody could understand. She had to send a message from her to him, whether it was in writing or not, Somebody in her household went to somebody in his household who took this message to him, I'm pregnant. You know, I mean, the witness goes out the window. Your credibility goes out the window with your integrity. Broken witness here. And then, and then he has Uriah killed by Joab, the commander-in-chief of his military, the field marshal, the, the, the general, the head of CENTCOM, whatever you, he, Joab's title was. And Romans sort of alludes a little bit to this. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law, for as it is written, and this goes back to the Old Testament, Paul writing to Romans, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. you can you imagine when word got out to the, the remaining Canaanite hordes? Oh, so this is, God's, this is God's king? This is King David? This is the shepherd king? I mean, people spat when they said the name of God after that, in some cases, I'm sure. Now, God can rescue us, and that's the good news. God rescued David. God sent Nathan. Nathan confronted David. David got it. His heart was broken, and, and he confessed his sin, and basically Nathan says, your sin's already been forgiven. Before you could even verbalize this, God saw your heart. You will not die. Your sin has been taken away. I remember uh, reading some notes from a counseling case that a colleague, he had met with a woman who had committed adultery with her uh, cubicle mate next to her. She was married to a good Christian man. And uh, my colleague said, so you've committed adultery? Well, this guy next to him, and she divorced her husband. And this guy next to her divorced his wife. And they, they had married by then. And, and now the church is trying to sort out and untie this Gordian knot. And he said, so let me get this straight. You're a Christian. You divorced this Christian man and married this Christian. You got him to engage in adultery. And you both ducked your spouses. And now you're together and... You want her a blessing or just what is it you want? She goes, well, God wants me to be happy. And, you know, this guy was a whole lot smarter and a whole, he understands me better. You know what? You shall not commit adultery isn't conditional. Respecting your spouse isn't conditional. Respecting the institution of marriage isn't conditional because respecting God isn't conditional. It's an imperative. And just because things sort of work out in the end, we don't sin that grace may abound more. God forgave David. God rescued him. He kept him from further moral decline and, and the insanity that comes with not having God as a priority. But there were costs associated with it. Some things in the case of David's life were never the same and they won't be the same in yours. But you know what? God can heal. God can restore. God can help. And that's the good news. So what do you do with this? What is the application I want you to have? What is the takeaway here? Let me just give you a couple of suggestions for application. And let me just right now kind of step out and talk a little bit about application. Application is really the work of the Holy Spirit bringing 
God's word on your conscience to produce change. I can't know where each and every one of you are. It is your responsibility as believers to think through what you've heard and to govern yourselves accordingly and to make the changes that God wants you to make and to embrace the love that God offers. So when I make these applications, these aren't exhaustive and they're based with only a general knowledge of the condition of the congregation. But I give these to you sort of is to give you a starting point for your thought life, okay? So it goes beyond all this. All right. Number one, don't be where you're not supposed to be. You know, people make fun of uh, Vice President Mike Pence because he won't get in a car alone with a woman. He won't ride in an elevator alone with a woman. Billy Graham did that too. It worked for Billy Graham pretty good. David did just the opposite. Don't go where you shouldn't go. Don't be where you shouldn't be. Ask yourself, am I where I need to be right now in every sense of the word? Number two, commit to care for your spouse. Commit to care for your spouse. You shall not commit adultery is a command. It's a command not to do something, and it's a command to do something. Implicit in the command is to do just the opposite, to respect and honor and love your spouse. If you're a man, you love your spouse the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If you're a woman, you submit to your husband in the Lord and everything. So care for your spouse. Commit to care for your spouse the way God is committed to care for you. He sacrificed greatly for you, his one and only son. Number three, take thoughts captive. Do not let your mind go there. You know, to meditate on James 1, 13 to 16. Let no one say when he is tempted that I'm tempted by God because God does not tempt anyone nor he can he himself be tempted by evil. But each person is, is enticed and carried away by his own lust and when lust gives birth to sin, when lust conceives it brings forth sin and when sin is full grown it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Take your thoughts captive. You have about six seconds to shift gears when a wrong thought When a vanilla, common garden variety, everyday wrong thought enters your mind, take your thoughts captive. Weigh them in the scales of scripture. Test the spirits to see if they're from God. Number four, consider the cost. Count the cost. Consider the carnage, the confusion, the upheaval, and hang on to and embrace this this antidote for chaos. Consider the cost. And number five, the Puritans... uh, Everybody likes to pillory and criticize the Puritans. Oh, don't be so puritanical. The Puritans were good people. And they had a thing that if this is sin here, I'm, I'm going to flee way over there. Flee. Flee. Man, when David looked down and saw her bathing, he should have jumped on his little fireman's pole and just slid down at the bottom of the castle and not come out, right? Instead, he sat there and he lingered and he thought about it and he turned it over in his head and death and destruction and chaos ensued. Don't do it. Flee. Go in the opposite direction. And always remember this. Flee from sin into the arms of God. Even if you've messed up already. Even if you've messed it all up. Turn back to God. Which is what David did. God waits. God will send trial and tribulation and discipline to you. Not to just punish you for the sake of punishing you. But to make you rush into his arms. Flee from sin into the arms of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this antidote for chaos, Lord. We thank you for the seventh protection in the list of the ten protections, Father. Help us to relate to you so that we can relate to others rightly, Lord. I look at those first four commandments, Lord. They teach us about you and how you have to be our priority because you're holy and it in turn causes us to think about others above ourselves and to try to be holy like you are, empowered and enabled by your Holy Spirit our minds informed and schooled and catechized by the word of God. Father, help us, Lord. Help us to love you so much that we love our spouse 
even when they don't behave the right way, the way they often love us, even when we don't behave the right way, and the way that you always love us when we don't behave the right way. Lord, help us not to take your grace for granted, but to embrace it, to flee to it, Lord, and to make this seventh rule for life our constant practice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org and also at jono at hillside.org. That's J-O-N-O at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you And thanks for listening. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.